Broadcasting live from the North Fulton Business Radio X studio, it's time for To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. To Your Health is brought to you by Morrow Family Medicine, an award-winning primary care practice, which brings the care back to health care. Hello and welcome to To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. That is me, Jim Morrow, a family physician in Cumming, Georgia. I am with Morrow Family Medicine, now a member of Village Medical. We're very happy about that. We have offices in Cumming and Milton, Georgia, and I'm here in my office studio very early in the morning. And John Ray is in his jammies in his <laughs> home studio. How are you doing, John? I'm great. I, you and I are both early birds. We're not in our jammies at this time of the morning. No, we're not. Yeah. I'm just trying to trying to get a rise out of it. I know. How'd, you, I do? How'd I do? Yeah, you've, d- oh, you've done great so far this morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad. And I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you listening as subscribers and listeners and patients and uh, prospective patients, maybe even. Uh, it means the world that people would seek out our podcast and want to hear what I have to say. It's a lot of what I have to say in the exam rooms every week, but uh, it's, it's, it's been a blessing. And last week, we celebrated last time we celebrated our 50th episode. John had a little birthday party and everything. <laughs> I didn't get cake, but it looked like it was good. And uh, so we're starting on our next 50. And if you do have topic suggestions or ideas, I'd appreciate it if you'd send those to us. You can send those to drjim at toyourhealth.md, or you can tweet us. We are at toyourhealthmd on Twitter or on the Twitter, as some people insist on calling. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about uh, human papillomavirus. Uh, But before we do that, I want to give a little bit of a a COVID, I guess it's an update, more of an overview probably at this point. Uh, I want to talk about the different phases of coronavirus infection. Uh, We've broken this down into four basic phases. And the first one is what you might expect, which is the viral phase, the acute infection phase, where you get exposed to the virus. A few days later, you start with an infection because it's latched onto your cells with its spike protein that we have a vaccine against. And so for a few days, you'll have viral symptoms. Uh, You might have typical flu-like symptoms, cough, cold, myalgias, fever, uh, body aches, that kind of thing. You just feel miserable, basically. And that can last up to two weeks. Now, if you're part of the 90% of people that never end up in the hospital, you're not going to go a lot past that, maybe a little. But during the second week is when we start this inflammatory or what we call the cytokine storm phase. Cytokines are inflammatory agents that are produced in your body in response to infection and other acute events. And when you get too much of a cytokine release, you get the cytokine storm, and it can release enough of these materials and this this fluid and and other solid materials even that they can actually fill up your lungs your alveoli the little air sacs with debris instead of giving you room to have oxygen in those air sacs and that's where you can really get into trouble uh, with your oxygen level falling your cough is worse your shortness of breath is worse and we tell everybody if you feel you're short of breath you should go to the emergency room because people are dropping their oxygen levels a lot lower than other diseases have cause before you feel shortness of breath. So shortness of breath might indicate your oxygen levels well below the 94 that we want to keep it above. That cytokine storm phase can last a week or 10 days maybe. 
which brings you into the third phase or what's the coagulation phase. Now, it took us a while to realize this was happening, but uh, patients, whether they're in the hospital or not, but patients with significant infection and moderate to significant symptoms can develop blood clots in arteries and veins. Now, blood clot in an artery means you're going to lose blood flow to that part of your body, and that might cause a stroke if that blood flow goes to your brain. It might cause an, an amputation of a leg. There have been many cases of that kind of thing happening. Uh, we had a patient come into the office complaining of pain in his ring finger, and he actually had been diagnosed with COVID two weeks earlier and was starting to have pain in his ring finger. And you could look at the ring finger and tell that it was gray where the others were pink. The skin was peeling off. If you touched it, it hurt tremendously. Ended up in the hospital on blood thinners, and last I heard had done pretty well saving that ring finger. But that's one of the things that can happen in this coagulation phase. Now, if you have blood clots in a vein, that's more likely to cause a DVT or what people refer to as a, a blood clot in the leg, that kind of thing. Or those clots can be in the lungs, and they can be deadly. They can certainly be very dangerous and off-putting but they are also possibly deadly. So you want to be very aware of that. And this is why a lot of people, when they leave the hospital, leave the hospital taking anticoagulants of some sort. <clears throat> and then the last phase is the late hyperinflammatory phase. And this can go uh, typically 10, 14 days. And this is the fourth week of infection pretty much. Uh, but it, it's a time when people continue to have the body aches, sometimes fever, the fatigue is bone crushing from what I'm told, and it's a very significant thing. Now, this phase can last in what they're referring to as the long haulers and people that have, quote, long COVID, end quote, can last for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks turn into months and months. And this can be quite a long time. And we're finding that people here don't have any real treatment. We don't have anything we can say, take this, you'll be better. It's a matter of rest and liquids and time and ibuprofen and such when you need it. But this late inflammatory phase can be very debilitating and, and disabling in many cases. If you look at someone who ought to be back to work, their cohort had COVID, he's back to work. Some people are just not because of this, this late inflammatory phase. So those are the phases of COVID. These are phases that you can avoid if you'll get a vaccine, please, if you get an opportunity to vaccine, take it. Never miss an opportunity to immunize, as my colleague Dr. Daniel Griffin says on This Week in Virology with great regularity. And if you're looking for good information about coronavirus, I encourage you to listen to the podcast This Week in Virology. They do fantastic work and have the entire time this virus has been out. So today we'll talk about a different virus that's completely different from coronavirus. This is the human papillomavirus. This is one that we've known about for a long time and have in recent years come up with a, a very good way to prevent it. We don't have great ways to treat it, but we have a great way to prevent it. So the human papillomavirus is a very common sexually transmitted disease, transmitted virus. It's the most commonly sexually transmitted infection in the United States. In fact, it's our assumption that if you've ever had sexual intercourse, you have HPV, as it's referred to, in your body. Now, you may not have an acute infection and you may not have a long-term problem from it, but the assumption is that if you've had sex, you've been exposed to HPV. 
there are more than a hundred types of HPV, and all of these do not cause problems. But some of them can cause genital warts, and many of the aggressive kinds can cause cancer, both in women and in men. And this includes cancer of the cervix, the vagina, the vulva, the anus, the penis, and even the throat, if you consider the possibility of getting HPV infection through oral sex. So HPV is passed between people through genital or skin-to-skin contact. It is not a fluid past infection. It just takes skin-to-skin contact. So both men and women can get HPV, as I said, and they therefore can pass it on to others. Often they don't know they have it because there really are no symptoms when you first get HPV at all. They don't realize that they're just passing it from one person to another. And nearly everybody, like I said, that's had sex has been exposed to HPV. And it's really assumed that all sexually active people will have HPV at some point in their lives. Now, I mentioned it's hard to know that you do have HPV, and it is. In most cases, including the kinds that cause cancer, there are no symptoms, not until you get said cancer. But the main symptom we do see in people is genital warts. If you see somebody, a patient, or if you as a patient have genital warts, that's almost certainly caused by human papillomavirus. These warts might be big or little. They might be flat. They might be raised. Uh, They are often described as looking like a small piece of cauliflower. Um, I usually refer to it as a fungating mass because that's kind of what they look like. They're just not attractive things at all. You might have one. You might have a group of them. And they can appear on any of the sexual organs, like I mentioned, even on your thigh. Because like I said, it just takes skin-to-skin contact. It does not take fluid. And there's another type of HPV that can cause warts to develop on other parts of your body, like your hands or your feet. But the types of HPV that cause warts generally do not cause cancer. So genital warts is a problem that's worth getting rid of but it's not an indicator that you're going to get cancer. And that's a very important distinction because we do see more people with warts than we do with HPV-induced cancer. So how do you diagnose human papillomavirus? Well, if you think you have warts in the genital area, you go see your family doctor. Uh, He or she will be able to diagnose it just with an examination, and that's diagnostic of having HPV infection. Now, women sometimes will have HPV on their cervix, and when they have a pap smear, there'll be indications on the pap smear that could be a problem. The doctor likely will bring you back into the office, do a different procedure called a colposcopy, or will they be able to identify areas on your cervix that have infection and take care of that for you. He may also do a cervical, specific cervical HPV test, And these are tests that can identify many of the types of HPV that that do cause cancer. So they can tell you if you're at risk of that. And if you are, there are things they can do to decrease that risk. So it's a very important thing to do. If you do have HPV types that can cause cancer, it's also important that you go back for the follow-up because we lose people to follow-up all the time. And it's just just inconceivable, but if you have these things, you want to be sure you go back for the follow-up at the intervals that your GYN tells you to follow up. It's just, it goes without saying, and it's the kind of thing where, again, not any symptoms. You're not going to feel bad. You're not going to feel anything. You're going to think, I'm okay, but you need to go back because you just don't know if you don't look. 
it's hard to avoid this virus completely. Obviously, if you're living a normal life, it's very difficult to avoid. But there are some things that you can do to lower your risk. And these are things that are in some ways common sense and uh, in, in some ways are uh, easy to do. One is have fewer sex partners. Another is to avoid sex with people who have had multiple sex partners. So knowing something about the person you're about to be involved with is very important. Now, having a conversation that could be an uncomfortable conversation, at least at first, is a very important part of this, and it goes a long way to helping you prevent getting HPV. Use condoms consistently and correctly. And although they don't cover all of the areas where the skin might be uh, inhabited by virus, it covers the most important part and certainly the, the most diagnostic part. Because there are no symptoms for weeks or months, you need to continue to be checked and to be aware of any changes in your skin, any changes in your health, any changes at all. And I tell people all the time, don't ever say those five most dangerous words in the English language, which are, hopefully a lot of you can say them with me now, maybe it will go away. If you see something that's new and different, you get it checked out. That's critical. I don't care what we're talking about. That's important. So this episode of To Your Health is brought to you by Mara Family Medicine. We are now a member of the much larger Village Medical, and we're very excited about that. We do see people in both Cumming and Milton, Georgia. Our Cumming office we are using for people who are not sick. So for physicals, blood pressure checks, diabetes, cholesterol rechecks, arthritis, anything that doesn't involve something that could be COVID-related, we're seeing these people in our Cumming location. And we are using our Milton location as essentially a COVID clinic. If you've got symptoms that might be COVID, we're going to see you in the Milton office. We're doing rapid testing in the Milton office. Uh, we have a lot of experience down there, unfortunately, treating these people. We've had well over 15, probably approaching 1,800 cases now of COVID. Unfortunately, we have had 13 deaths. And when I say that to people, their first question is usually, well, were they old? And certainly a lot of them are. But what they weren't was dying. They might have had COPD or diabetes or other things, but they weren't actively dying. And 13 of these people are no longer here to be with their loved ones and to enjoy their life. And I think it's a, a crying shame. So if you get an opportunity to get a vaccine, get one. So speaking of vaccines, there is now a vaccine against human papillomavirus. And this is something that in years to come is going to become more and more important because it's going to completely change the rates at which people have cervical cancer, the weight rates at which people have genital warts, and the rates at which they have the head and neck cancers that you can also get from human papillomavirus infection. The CDC says that girls and boys between the age of 11 and 12 should get the vaccine. That's when you should first get it. Again, from what I said earlier, obviously it's important that you get this before you're sexually active. So the vaccine works very well in the immune system of an 11-year-old, and I recommend that if you have children in that age, you take them and get them this vaccine. It's very important. It's a very easy vaccine. It doesn't have a lot of side effects, hasn't done anything bad to anybody and so forth. It's a great thing to do. Teenagers and young adults can get the vaccine too. The reported, the published ages are between 9 and 26 but I can tell you that if you came in here at age 35 and you said you wanted a HPV vaccine, we would give you one. 
because it's better to get it than to not get it. And any good it could do would be lost if you never get the vaccine. So that's an important thing. The vaccine is multiple doses over six to 12 months. Children nine to 14 years of age get two doses and children or teens over 15 get three doses. And it's important to get all the doses that you're supposed to get in order to get the most protection from this vaccine. Now that, again, sounds like something you shouldn't have to say, but you do because people either forget about it or they think, oh, I'm okay, but if you're supposed to get two, you get two. If you're supposed to get three, you get three. If you get a coronavirus vaccine and you're supposed to get two, get them both. Very important. Now, without health insurance, these vaccines can be pretty pricey, but the CDC does have a program which is called Vaccines for Children, and this provides free vaccines for some families. So if cost is an issue, you need to go to the CDC website and look at vaccines for children and see how this might be able to help you. The treatment for vaccine uh, for HPV, excuse me, I mentioned that there's real, no real cure. Once you get this virus, it's like many others, it's there to stay, may not pro cause a serious problem where it may, but the virus itself is there. So the treatments are directed at the problems that they cause, the genital warts, the precancerous cells, and cancer. So genital warts can be treated by your doctor, but you do not want to try to use over-the-counter wart solutions and wart treatments for these things. As you know, the skin on the genitals is different from the skin on the back of your arm. You don't want to put some of the things over-the-counter on your penis or on your labia or on your vagina because I'm telling you, you're not going to be happy about that. Do not do that. Go to the doctor. Get proper treatment if that's the case. If it's a cervical problem, I mentioned you get the pap smear, you get the colposcopy, you get the treatment that's needed so that you don't have a progression of this to any kind of cancer. Very, very important that you do that. Now, you may test positive for HPV without having any signs of any real outcome from any bad outcome at all, whether it's cancer or genital warts or anything, but you want to stay on top of this. If you've been told that you have HPV infection, you're going to want to get tested for things like pap smears and such at different intervals from what you would otherwise. You want to get a pap smear probably every four to six months until you realize it's not causing a problem. And this can take a while. You might have to do this over a period of a couple of years, but you want to continue to, to follow this and to monitor this. It's very important that you do that. You don't want to ignore the fact that you've been told you have HPV. You don't want to give this an opportunity to cause a problem that could have been prevented. And again, the best way to prevent HPV problems is with a vaccine. So get or have your children get the vaccine for HPV when you can. And John, that's what I've got on HPV infection. So I've been, uh, I've seen a few articles lately that, that, um, uh, sex, even in, among married couples is a casualty of, of the, uh, pandemic. Um, so, which I can understand, um, so should people, uh, focus on this now or. Well, I, guess, I, think, I think you should focus on it, uh, always. You know, if you're if you're married, then with any luck at all, your number of sexual partners is one. And so whatever they have, you're going to have. 
and you can pretty much take that to the bank. And if you notice a problem, any sort of uh, growth, or if you have an abnormal pap, then you treat that just as you ordinarily would. I don't know that frequency of intercourse really plays that big a role because the infection has been transmitted pretty much the first time you had sex anyway. Uh, I don't know that repeated exposure really plays a part. Gotcha. And a, a, a coronavirus question. Yeah. So we have uh, been seeing articles here lately about how there seems to be uh, have been no flu uh, season this year. And, of course, that feeds into the conspiracy theorist um, and what they've uh, got to say about all this. But what what are your comments on that? Well, it's very true. We really did not see much flu at all this year. And it turns out that if you don't go to work when you're sick and you wear a mask most places and you wash your hands and sanitize and you're careful and you distance, you're not going to infect other people much. So we went from a, a society that was doing the complete opposite of that. When people had the flu, they're still going to work because they felt like the boss wanted them to, or they needed the money or whatever the case would be. So whether they were sick or not, they went to work. Nobody ever wore a mask in the United States. You never saw that hardly ever, unless somebody was doing chemo or something. And so all these things conspired to reduce the infection. And I think also more people got the flu vaccine this year than would have in other years because they were concerned about it. They heard more about it and they were aware and so forth. So I think everything just combined to, to lower the flu rates. And it was a, a wonderful thing because we were very concerned about what would happen with high coronavirus infection and high flu infection and what the hospitals would do and so forth. So it was a, a real blessing that it ended up the way it did. Now, we need to remind folks, and I think you said something about this earlier and, and you have on past episodes, but we, we need to remind folks that uh, you are open to topics, that you, you've been suggested topics by patients and others that listen to the show, and uh, you're open to that. I absolutely am. I had a patient just last week I recommend that we do one on CBD oil, and I don't believe we've done that. Yeah. So I'm going to start working on one on CBD oil. I have a guest in mind that I'd like to have come and talk to us about that. So hopefully in the near future, we'll do that. But if you have an idea, something like that or anything, doesn't matter, anything health related, we would love to hear it. Folks, get your ideas in. Uh, he rejects all mine. So um, he, he out of hand. So maybe if you'll suggest a few, uh, he'll take them on. Well, <laughs> let's don't talk about what yours have been because that, that would explain why they've been rejected. I think. But I, I, I can't tell people how much I appreciate them listening. I'm not going to ramble on and on and keep people here against uh, their will, but I just appreciate the ideas. I appreciate the comments people give me in the exam room and in emails. So thank you very much for listening to the first 50, and I hope you listen to the next 50, and hopefully I'm around for the third 50. So we appreciate it very much. And so for now, that is to your help.